0: When my boys were young, they played quite a bit of baseball, and I coached them quite often. And as I did that, I noticed an interesting phenomenon that would occur in Little League baseball games, that when they turn, when the kids, the boys or girls, turn about 9 or 10 years old, that's when they switch from what is called coach pitch to kid pitch. Up until that time, the coach would throw them the ball, they would hit it. At about age 9 or 10 is when the kids start pitching to other kids. That's when it becomes interesting, because nine and 10 year olds don't necessarily throw the ball that well. They haven't perfected that skill of pitching. And so it's not uncommon at all, as you're watching one of those games, to see several batters get walked, a few of them get hit along the way. And can I just say it? It's terribly boring to watch. It's terribly boring to watch. It really is. Unless, unless you're the batter. And then you've got to have your head on a swivel because you never know when a ball's coming in and going to hit you in the head or in the ribs or in the leg or wherever. And, you know, I don't know if you know anything, if you've ever been hit with a baseball, but it hurts. Those baseballs are hard. And some kids never recover from that. After a year or two of kid bitch and getting hit a couple times, they're like, No thanks. I don't need this. So picture this with me. Little Billy, he's nine years old. He's pitching in a baseball game. He takes the mound. He walks the first two batters. The third batter that's up, he hits. No outs, bases loaded. The next kid he hits or walks. Run, start scoring. So as Billy's standing there on the mound, he hears the opposing team, the opposing parents, the opposing coaches all saying this to the next batter. Make him throw you a strike, Billy. Meanwhile, on the other side, he hears his own teammates, the parents of his teammates, and his coaches saying to him, come on, Billy, get the ball across the plate. All eyes are on this nine-year-old parents coaches players inevitably into that scenario you'll hear someone who means well perhaps a parent perhaps a coach say these words to Billy just relax And I get it. It makes sense. They're trying to help Billy because it's actually true. If Billy could just relax and he could just, you know, kind of breathe deeply and pretend he's back in his backyard with his dad and he's throwing the ball to his dad, he could settle down, he could regain his control and he can probably throw strikes again. But at this point, Billy's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. Everybody's looking at him. Everybody's yelling at him. So what does Billy think at that point? Oh, yeah, thanks for the advice. I'll just relax out here and everything's going to be just fine. Here, let me take a deep breath. Okay, I'll throw strikes now. Of course not. What does Billy think at that point? He's thinking, easy for you to say. You're not standing out here on the mound with everybody yelling at you and every eye on you. So I vowed when I started coaching my boys, and they pitched, that I would never say to them, When they were in a tough spot, the words, just relax. In fact, I vow that I wouldn't say that to any other pitcher who was pitching, if I was coaching or if I was a parent. I wonder if maybe Jesus' disciples, when they heard him say these words, let your hearts not be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I wonder if they were thinking some of the same thoughts Billy was thinking as he stands on the mound that day. If they were thinking, they didn't say it, you don't say this to Jesus, but they were thinking, easy for you to say, you're not the one who's left everything. Let me give you the context for that. Um, There were the disciples, there were many disciples who followed Jesus, but there were the twelve. And these 12 followed Jesus everywhere for three years. They were with him 24-7. They had left everything to follow Jesus. They had bet the farm on the fact that he was who he said he was, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. And honestly, for three years, everything's going well. You can even say things were going great. I mean, Jesus is preaching. People are coming in droves to hear him preach. He's healing people. He's calming storms. He's raising people from the dead. And they are thinking, man, our futures look bright here. We got on the right team here three years into it one night the twelve disciples and Jesus are in a room it's quiet they finished eating and they're talking and Jesus begins to talk and he starts saying words like I'm going to be arrested I'm going to suffer I'm going to die and at this point they're thinking Jesus this is crazy talk we left everything to follow you. Don't talk like this. And then he, yeah, he, looked, he starts looking around the room and he said, and you, you're going to betray me. And you over here, you're going to deny me. Now, what were they feeling at that point? <laughs> a little anxious? A little worried? Maybe a lot worried at that point? So the next thing Jesus says to them, remember he said, guys, just so you know, I know you've left everything to follow me, but I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. His next words are, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't you think some of them were thinking, Jesus, that's so easy for you to say. But you're not in our position. We've left everything to follow you. Now maybe some of you are there today. You're troubled. And maybe it's trouble in your marriage. Maybe it's trouble in your job. Maybe it's trouble with a kid. Maybe it's trouble in a relationship. Maybe it's trouble because you don't know if you can pay the bills. Maybe it's trouble with your health. Maybe it's trouble with a habit or an addiction. Maybe it's trouble with anxiety. Maybe it's trouble with depression. If I were guessing, I would say the last thing you want to hear someone say to you is just relax it'll be okay it's going to all work out just throw strikes relax you know that's not what you want to hear is it unless you know the foundation that Jesus gives for peace in troubled times and what he said was in troubled times I am the way. And I want to explain to you what that means when he said that. And I think that explanation will help you understand how you can find strength and hope and comfort in troubled times too. So let me read it to you. This is John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. These are Jesus' words. He says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. We live in a troubled world, don't we? I rarely watch the news on TV, read about it in the newspaper, read it on the internet nowadays because it's so depressing. This morning alone, I decided to tune into the local news station on TV, Indianapolis. Here's what we started with. Six shootings overnight in Indianapolis, a destructive tornado in Florida, conflict and fighting in the Middle East, and political unrest and turmoil. We get that every day. And I think we hear it so often we've almost become desensitized to it. And I'll just stop right there. <laughs> I don't like hearing all that. And often when I'm reading the news, i just like, ah, I'll just skip all this, I'll go to the sports section. Then I get to the sports section, there's trouble in the sports world too. I mean, we live in a troubled world. So let's be honest, when Jesus says the world's words, don't let your hearts be troubled, we can relate, can't we? We all have experienced our share of troubles. If not in the past, we're in the present We will in the future. So what do we do? I mean, we could become cynical, right? Like, man, this fall weather is great. Yeah, but just wait a couple months. It's only going to get worse. No, we don't have to be cynical because Jesus is going to tell us how to avoid cynicism even in a troubled world. What does Jesus tell us to do with our troubles? He says, trust. Now, you may be thinking, trust in what? Glad you ask. Um, he's going to tell us to trust in him and to trust in his Father. Then he's going to tell us why we can do that. Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for his followers. Now, when we hear those words, we think, oh, that's awesome. You know, Jesus is saying he's going to go prepare a place for us. Man, that, that, I, how can it be any more incredible? Here's what the disciples heard, though, back when he was saying them to him. Jesus is going to leave us, and we bet the farm on him. Listen closely. What they think is bad news at the time is actually going to be good news. They just don't know that. Let me call a time out for just a minute. There have been many times in my life where what I thought was bad news at the time, and honestly, sometimes left me questioning God, actually turned out to be good news. Now, I'm not saying that my circumstances got better or that the bad news went away, or that my problems disappeared. But when I look back now, I can see how God took what appeared to be bad news to me at the time and brought good from it. Um, I remember a time, this is when I was in seminary, I was in my 20s, and I was dealing with depression, and honestly, it was almost debilitating to me at the time. I kept asking God to fix it, and he seemed silent. What I didn't realize was the problem was that I was not dealing with some feelings, some intense feelings that I had suppressed because I thought they were just too painful to face head-on. And it took me months, honestly, even years, to figure out that to be emotionally healthy, I got to deal with my feelings, even the ones I don't like, even the painful ones. I couldn't avoid or suppress emotional pain Because when you do that, it always surfaces in some unhealthy way, in depression, anger, anxiety, or you medicate it in some self-destructive way or that's destructive to those around you. And to be honest, I'm, I'm still learning that principle, but I think I understand it a whole lot better than I used to. I'm more aware of it. I'm able to recognize it in myself and deal with it more readily than I used to. Here's the truth. I never would have survived 30-some years in the ministry or as a pastor had I not learned that way back then. God allowed me to learn that through what I thought was a bad situation because it ended up turning out for good. So I don't have to be troubled by my troubles. I can trust God in my troubles. Many years ago, our church was transitioning to become the church that we are today, and, and we wanted to be a church for people who don't like church or people who had given up on church. That transition was so hard at the time. And there were many people who were on board, excited about our vision, but there were some who just wanted to keep church the way it was. And those were difficult times. And, and finally, a group of them decided to split off and start another church, which was more traditional. Man, that, that was such a hard time because those were people I loved and cared about, too. But what I thought was bad turned out for good. Those who started that traditional church got the church they wanted and preferred, and that also freed us up to move forward with our vision. And that core group of people who was part of our vision, they were like-minded and committed to that vision. Don't be troubled by your troubles because you can trust God in your troubles. So, what the disciples think is bad news is actually good news. They hear and see that he's leaving them, but he's actually going away to prepare a place for them, a place, and the place he's talking about is heaven. In fact, he's saying this to his followers for all time. He's saying, even though there is trouble now, your future is so bright if you're my follower. He adds to his disciples, he says, then you'll be with me forever. So what do you do when life is hard? What do you do when you're troubled? You trust in what awaits you. Jesus promised to anyone who's his follower "Is it's going to get better. In other words, when life is hard, you trust in God's promises. One of those promises is, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've accepted Him into your life, you've invited Him into your life, you've surrendered your life to Him, that He is right now preparing your future for you. Now, you may be thinking at this point, yeah, but I need some help now. I don't want to spend the rest of my life this way. And that's fair. So what do you do in the meantime? What do you do in the present? Well, first... You can find strength in your relationship with him. Right before Jesus returned to heaven after he was on earth, he was actually talking to those 12 guys again. He had already died. He'd come back to life. He's getting ready to go back to heaven. He said this in Matthew 28, 20, And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus promises to walk through this life with you. In fact, he wants to do that with you. He'll give you strength. He'll give you peace. He'll give you guidance when you have that relationship with Him and rely on Him. Second, find strength in others. God created us for each other. When your heart is troubled, you need others to talk to, to share your burden with. Now, I think that's one of the beauties of life groups here at our church. You know, Galatians 6 2 in the Bible says this share each other's burdens that's one of the awesome things about church it's just a community of people but knowing what awaits you in your future can also make all the difference now in this world And, and that's really what jesus is saying here he says trust in what awaits you let me explain have you ever had something coming up that you were really excited about and if you notice how that'll sustain you until that happens, like a fun weekend planned or a great vacation planned, my wife Janet and I have got into the habit of vacationing in Florida in the winter. We usually go near the latter part of January, first part of February. And we're kind of to the point where we just don't care all that much for cold weather and snow around here in the winter. Can I, thank you. I can say, can I get an amen on that? Um, <laughs> So often in early February, we will head to southern Florida where the temperature's 80 degrees and it's sunny. And so here's how it works. You know, you make it through the holidays, right? Usually December, Christmas, New Year's, they come pretty quick. But then January settles in and it can be cold, it can be snowy, it can be gray. And you're thinking, oh, a couple more months of this, a couple more months of winter. And it can be depressing in early January when you're thinking, I have two more months of this. But if you have a vacation plan, like near the end of January, first of February, and then it snows in January, or there's a zero-degree wind chill, or you haven't seen the sun in two weeks, we just look at each other like, yeah, but in a couple weeks we're going to be walking along the beach in the sunshine. When your heart is troubled, think about the eternity that awaits you. Jesus is there right now preparing a place for you. Now I love what happens next in John chapter 14. One of Jesus' twelve disciples, his name is Thomas, ask him a question. I don't know if you've heard of Thomas. Sometimes people who study the Bible call him doubting Thomas. And I think I give him a bad rap. Because if you really look closely, Thomas was just very inquisitive, okay? Here's the question he asked back to John chapter 14, verse 5. He said, No, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Have you ever been in a group setting? where everybody has a question on their mind, but everybody's also hesitant to ask it. And finally, there's that one guy, there's that one person who doesn't care what other people think or if they're going to appear dumb, and they'll just speak up and ask the question. And you're thinking, oh, I'm so glad he asked, I'm so glad she asked that. I wanted to know the answer, but I didn't want to have to be the one to ask that. Thomas was that guy among the 12. He was the guy who would ask. He was the guy who would speak up and ask Jesus the hard questions. All the other guys were wondering. Thomas asked the question. And his question is a fair question. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and you know where I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know. We have no idea. How can we know the way? So Jesus replies with perhaps some of the most profound words you'll ever hear. These are words that are so profound that not only will they give you strength and comfort and hope in this life but they're words that can give you eternal life. Here's what he said, back to John 14, verse 6 Jesus told him, I am the way the truth and the life, no one can come to the Father except through me Jesus makes it clear that the way to heaven, the way to God, is through him. Now, think about that. That is a really, really bold thing to say. He he made other claims that were just as bold. He said one time, I'm the resurrection and the life. Man, think about how bold that is. You know, that's what we're going to actually focus on next week in our I Am Jesus series. Last week, we focused on the claim he made where he said, I am the light of the world. To make claims like that, you'd better be able to back them up, right? Because if you can't, it makes you look like a liar or a fool. What if I said to you, I can dunk a basketball on a 10-foot goal. How many of you, in fact, let me start the other way. How many of you do not think that I can dunk a basketball on a 10-foot goal? Let me see your hands. Okay, keep them up for just a minute. I'm ashamed of you, all right? <laughs> okay, now, how many of you think I can dunk a basketball on a 10-foot goal? Let me see your hands. Okay, I felt like three, maybe a couple more than that. For those of you raise your hands saying you think I can dunk a basketball on a 10-foot goal, there's actually a $100 gift card waiting for you at the Connections desk this morning. <laughs> just stop by there and pick it up on your way out. We have cameras, so we know who said that. Now, there's actually one simple way to find out if I can dunk a basketball, right? We could bring a 10-foot goal up here on stage somewhere, and I could show you. Or we could go across to the hub. There's actually a basketball goal over there. We could all stand around, and then you could say to me, "Show me, Jerry, do it." Right? If I can't, I lose my credibility. I'm lying just like I was lying about the $100 gift card at the connections (laughs) desk. So, how did Jesus back up his claim to be the way to God, the truth, and the life? Well, he came to earth. He died on a cross to pay for our sins, and then three days later, he came back to life. And when he came back to life, that validates your claim real fast, doesn't it? I mean, if Jesus can conquer death, the point is that He is an authority of life and death, and we too can conquer death if we trust in what He says. Life isn't easy. In fact, honestly, sometimes it is just plain hard. But you can still live with peace and joy and hope, knowing what the future holds for you. When you die... If you're a follower of Jesus, his promise is that you'll spend eternity with God the Father and with him in heaven forever. Now, uh, that's a personal decision. That's a personal decision that each of us have to make. Do I want to accept what Jesus has done for me when he died on the cross to pay for my sins? Do I want to trust in him, invite him into my life? Do I want to surrender my life to him? And, you know, it's not based on what we do. I can't have a right standing with God because I'm not good enough. The Bible makes that clear. Romans 3.23, in the Bible says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. I can't do enough. I can't go to church enough. I can't do enough good deeds in any way to earn my salvation. It's not what I do. It's what Jesus has done for me. And that's actually really good news, isn't it? fact that we can rely on what Jesus has done for us to pay the penalty for our sin and to offer us forgiveness of our sins. Romans 6.23 in the Bible says this, for the wages of sin, the payment for our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can have the hope of eternal life, not because of what we do, not because of how good we are, but by putting our faith in what Jesus has done for us. You know, if you've never made that decision. You can make that decision right now in your heart by praying to God and simply telling him that. Sincerely telling God that you know you've sinned, that you want to rely on what Jesus has done for you when he died on the cross. You want to surrender your life to him. And the Bible gives us this wonderful, this incredible promise about the future when we've made that decision. I want you to listen to the words of Revelation. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It talks a lot about the future. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. It's describing what heaven will be like. Here's what it says. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, all these things are gone forever. That's what awaits those who accepted Jesus in their lives. That's what they'll experience. This is our hope. This is our promise. That's what anyone experiences who puts their trust in Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Just before I close in prayer, I'd like to give you the opportunity to make that decision in your heart today. If you've already made it, it's not a decision you have to keep making. Jesus says once you make that decision in your heart, you have eternal life. But if you've never made that decision today in your heart, you can say to God, you know, I'm going to trust in what Jesus has done for me. I want to surrender my life to him. All you have to do is tell him that. You can, as you're sitting there silently, pray something like this. Just repeat this. Say, Jesus, I know that you died to pay for my sins. I'm relying on what you did for me when you forgave me of my sins. I surrender my life to you. All my trust is in you. I want to live my life for you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Amen. And his promise to you is that if you do that, You have a relationship with him in this life and you have the promise of eternal life I'll close this in prayer God I thank you so much for that incredible promise that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and I pray for those who especially feel troubled this morning in their hearts that they will understand that when they look to you They can not only find strength in this life, but they can look to the future and know, Jesus, that you are right now preparing a place for us and that we can spend eternity with you. And my prayer is that uh, those who are experiencing troubles right now would just draw incredible strength and hope and peace and joy from that. And God, for those who um, maybe made that decision this morning to accept Jesus in their lives, I thank you for that. And, And Jesus... We thank you for what you've done for us. We worship you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.